That's a clown question, bro. Hi, what's up, Bunny? So I'm gonna kick some dirt. He gets on base. Just a bit outside. I'm not the type of player that's gonna be Johnny Hustle. If you don't want me to watch the ball, you can go get it out of the ocean. And welcome to Above Replacement Radio, where we're talking baseball kind of whenever. I'm your host, Chris Gianta. Over there on the other side of the screen is Daniel Curran. How you doing, Daniel? Chris, a week from today on launch day is the day that we've all been waiting for. And I know you know what I'm talking about. We've been we've been discussing it for pretty much the last year, not necessarily on air, but like ever since last year, we were like, all right, next year is going to be an interesting one. And that day has almost come. Yep, we're gonna we're gonna see how close everyone got to being a Hall of Famer. But no one's actually gonna get in. Yeah, we're gonna. It's just see- that I saw like a, one of those MLB Network ads today where it was like, "Who will be joining the all-time greats in Cooperstown, New York?" Nobody, nobody's gonna do it. Yeah, there's not even the alternate committee voting this year. No. Yeah, it's uh, literally- it's kind of sad. Yeah, it is, but. I guess I guess this is just the reality that we're living in with these incredible baseball writers. Yes, these uh, four hundred esteemed uh, baseball. Yeah. All four hundred of them just they know what they're doing. Exactly. Yes. Especially, especially Phil Rogers, especially David Scretta, Dan Shaughnessy. I mean, they're all just top notch. Yes. All you're gonna. The only things you're gonna see from me when. When you when we're talking about these baseball writers, are nice two thumbs up. Oh for, yeah, for you did a guys. great job. A for yes. effort. Yes, uh, I love these guys. But uh, I guess that's a good preview of what we'll be talking about. Uh, you know, we've been doing bubble cases for each, for like each individual bubble bubble case we're interested in because pretty much everyone on the ballot this year is a bubble case, uh, or or you're you know not even considered at all like. You know, like like Troy Hawkins or or Ramis Ramirez. Yeah, but we've been doing you know individual players. Uh, it's been eight eight different uh, bubble cases we've done uh, today. Later in the show, this will kind of this will be in the second half of the show. We'll be talking about uh, all the all the members of the uh, all the players on the Hall of Fame ballot with. PED histories. Um, we'll kind of go over our views on steroids and stuff because we've kind of alluded to them, but we've never really made it that clear on the uh, on the program. Um, but yeah, there's six six guys we'll be talking about and like what makes them kind of unique in in their own way on the ballot. Whether and then uh, at the end we'll be doing the ballot reveal because yeah. the bubble case the bubble case that. Um, we're doing next week um we we know we're not going to vote for him and also you know it's better to reveal it you know a week before the the actual ballot you know the actual results come in and you know not on the day that the actual results come in so there will be some time to breathe and uh but yeah before all that we'll get into the news of Major League Baseball and uh, something that dropped at about ten thirty p.m. Maybe uh, the night. Yep. We recorded last week. It uh, always happens the night we record after we get off. Always. Yeah. This, especially, especially with the uh, with the White Sox, 
this has happened twice with White Sox news. <clears throat> uh, one time it was Lance Lynn getting traded to the White Sox. This time, um, and this was kind of odd because I didn't really see any rumors about negotiations with this guy. It just kind oh. of came up out of nowhere. Uh, Liam Hendricks, who's kind of the consensus best, you know, best reliever of the past two years. Um, and you could argue best reliever in baseball currently. Uh, Liam Hendricks uh, signs a three-year, $54 million deal. It's kind of complicated what, what the money situation is. With the Chicago White Sox, uh, it's very, very big deal. White Sox mean... We already knew they they meant business. They mean a lot of business for sure yeah. now. Um, during the entirety of this offseason, I've always been really confused as to why the White Sox haven't been negotiating with Alex Colomay. I mean, I thought, you know, he had an 0-8-1 ERA last year. I thought it seemed like a no-brainer to bring him back, but they, they didn't seem to be talking, and I couldn't understand why. And it's because they were actually getting an upgrade. They were getting Liam Hendricks instead. Um this is a guy that, you know, like you mentioned, probably the best closer of the last two years. It's, a, I believe, a four-year deal uh, worth just north of $50 million. Um, it's a, it's a three-year deal a three-year with a deal. team option in the fourth yeah. year. Yep. Okay. So it could be a four-year deal. Yeah. So anyway, um, this is a deal that solidifies an already pretty deep White Sox bullpen. Uh, it's a lot of up and comers, you know, obviously you have Hendricks who is going to be that closer, who's going to be um, not, not just, you know, the guy with the most important position in there, but also the guy with the most experience, you know, he's been in the league for, you know, obviously he just hit free agency. So he's been in the league for quite a bit, you know, to add to the 21 year old Garrett Crochet who came up last year to add to Matt Foster, who just had a good age 25 season, Uh, Evan Marshall. He, I know he's, 31 next year, but still he was very good. Um, Aaron Bummer, who had an 096 ERA last year, Garrett Crochet, like I mentioned earlier. This is a team with a very deep bullpen, and it sort of solidifies really the entire team. I mean, if you really do if you were really to look up and down the roster as an entirety, there's not too many weak points on there. Yeah, there's really no holes with the uh Chicago White Sox. Um, and if anyone is not aware of just how dominant Liam Hendricks has been. Cause I know he's kind of a newer name. He's not really, um, he hasn't, he's not really mentioned, you know, to a casual baseball fan with the likes of, you know, our oldest Chapman, Kenley Jansen, even like Josh Hader, Josh Hader, Craig, you know, I guess Craig Kimbrell, not now, but at some point, yeah. Uh, Hendricks came around as, you know, he was kind of a, a man reliever for the first eight years of his career, I guess you would say. And he really came around uh, in 2019. And in the past two years, uh, in 110 and a third innings pitched, has a 1.79 ERA uh, and a 1.7 flat FIP, uh, 13.1 strikeouts per nine, 2.0 walks per nine, and uh, half a home run per nine. So that's, that's the quality of reliever you getting he won american league reliever of the year in 2020 uh got got a got cy young votes as well finished ninth in in the cy young vote 13th in the mvp vote last year so yeah this is the you know probably the best reliever in baseball and yeah it just out of nowhere the white Sox, uh white Sox get him and yeah for sure i mean and you know i 
I would say currently, as it is, I think personally, and, and I, I don't know how hot of a take it is, I think the White Sox as a roster have the best roster in the American League currently. That is absolutely a fair point. And that doesn't mean that they're the best team. That doesn't mean that they're the team to beat. Um, but I think they're absolutely top two in a division that's not very deep. I mean, I think obviously the Tigers and the Tigers and the Royals are a no for next year. The Indians are obviously going to regress and the twins. Uh, I don't really know what to think of them, especially if they're losing Nelson Cruz. And I don't know if guys like Maeda and Barrios are going to continue what they did last year on a larger scale, you know, because of 162 instead of 60. But uh, it seems to me like this team has a clear road to the, to the division and uh, to home field advantage in the playoffs. Yeah. And, uh, I think you might've misheard me. I'm saying they, in the entire American league, I think they have the best roster. I, I put the roster itself over even the, uh, even the Yankees. I think the Yankees, I trust the Yankees more in, you know, the postseason. I guess. I was going to say like, if, if the, if those rosters go up in the postseason, like, are you taking the white Sox? That's it's, a seven. I'm saying talent wise. I think talent wise, that's fair. I think the white Sox have the best roster. I don't know if, you know, they're, uh, a relatively inexperienced team. Uh, and I don't know how they match up in a postseason series, especially, you know, they have a guy who hasn't managed in nine years and has been relatively out of the game for nine years. Well, not necessarily. Uh, I mean, he was with the, he had a position with the Red Sox up until 2019. Yeah, uh, he, he did. Actually, I, I guess. Yeah. Funny story. Uh, I went to Fenway the very last game of 2019 as I was walking out, I actually saw Tony La Russa. Like he was walking with a couple of people and I'm just like, Oh, that's, that's a hall of famer baseball person right there. Yeah. That's, that's uh, exactly what I said. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. yeah I yeah, didn't I like, I didn't talk to him or anything, but like he was there, like that was, it was definitely him. Yeah. And uh, you know, I'm not saying that the white Sox currently have the best team in the American league, but I think they have the most talented roster yeah. Of anyone. They have such a deep team, you know, they, and they have so many guys with breakout potential. I know that we've made plenty of jokes at the expense of Dylan Cease in the last year. Uh, but that is, I mean, he was your guy to watch last year for a reason. I don't see why he can, he can't do that next year. Yeah, exactly. You know, I've, they have one of the, one of the best catchers in baseball. They have a guy who just won MVP at first base Yoan Mankata at second base, Tim Anderson at short, uh, third. I don't know who the I don't know who the third baseman is, but well, they yeah, have well, no, they have they have Madrigal at second, who's gonna break, who's hopefully gonna break out this year, and then they're gonna place Mankata at third. Yeah, and they got Mankata at third. Luis Robert, who finished second in the Rookie of the Year voting in, in the well, outfield, and I mean, I think Luis Robert's only going up from where he was last year. Yeah, and then just. And then you go through the rotation. You have you and you had Eloy too, and yeah, Elo Jimenez uh, as well in the outfield. Then you go through the rotation. You have uh, Lance Lynn, who you just acquired. Lucas Giolito, who looked like a madman in the postseason, had a very good year. He's had a, two very good years in 2019 and 2020. Dallas Keuchel, who you know, even you know, peripheral statistics or not, had an ERA below two uh, in 2020. And now you're adding, um, I'm trying to see if I forgot anyone. Yeah. That's, you know, that's, that's, those are you the main just stuck at it. 
those are the main pieces of the White Sox rotation. And then now, now you're adding the best closer, arguably the best closer in baseball in your bullpen. I, it's a, it's an extremely talented roster for sure. And you probably have Michael Kopech coming back. Yeah. You have Kopech. You like have, you, you're uh, losing Dane Dunning, but you're replacing him with Kopech and you have Cease who can probably uh, improve on last year. You know, we obviously know what he needs to work on. Um, but yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, so I have a take. Go ahead. So listen, we've obviously been saying a lot about Tony La Russa ever since the hire was made for better or for worse. Uh, I think a lot of people might know where Chris and I sort of stand on it and where a lot of baseball fans stand on it. But with this, at this point, I think Tony La Russa stages a bigger threat to the White Sox division chances than the World Series chances. Because all the things that we've been worried about with him have to do with like, you know, the, the personal part of being a manager. Is he going to be able to mesh with the people in that clubhouse? Is he going to be able to wrangle all those guys up and get them out on the field? And I think this team has a clear shot at the postseason now, but, you know, keeping them all in check throughout the season, I think is what we're really worried about with Tony LaRussa. I think you can agree with that, Chris. But when you get to the playoffs, in-game managing means so much more than it does in the regular season. And Tony, Tony LaRusso, I do believe, I mean, he's a Hall of Famer baseball person for a reason. And I think his in-game managing is going to step up in the postseason. And that's why I believe that he's a bigger threat to their division hopes than he is the World Series hopes. Yeah, I, I totally understand uh, where, where you're coming from there. Um, the only worry I would have in terms of in-game managing is sort of the evolution and the evolution of the game and him maybe maybe like leaving starters out there too long but i feel like that might be a, a quicker adjustment than it's definitely going to be an adjustment you can make over the course of 162 and also yeah. i mean the most talented roster in the american league he's obviously got a lot of of talent to work with on that team so like you know if the if the wrong move ends up being i don't know bringing in aaron bummer instead of evan marshall like what are you going to do that's just that's you know they're both talented pitchers you just pick the wrong one and that's no shame in that yeah and he's got like the top three guys in his rotation are guys that you can that you can feel comfortable going in for the sixth inning yeah uh if if you're in a postseason game you feel comfortable doing that so maybe you know maybe the talent he has on the roster kind of prevents him from um from making mistake like you probably don't trust tony larusa managing the tampa bay rays but no absolutely not (laughs) no the white Sox here it seems it seems very plausible that he could he could do well but yeah i totally see your point in uh him you know being able to manage the clubhouse rather than the game i think that's the toughest part Uh, i'm not exactly sure who their bench coach is but if it's someone who's more loose uh and fun than he is on a on a more personal standpoint and it's more new school I think we could look at this team as a legitimate World Series contender. Yeah, I mean, this is what I was saying earlier. As I I put, I put the uh, I put the roster up with any American League roster. It says here, uh, White Sox bench coach Joe Joe McEwing. Um, he's uh, forty eight years old. So okay, that's not that bad. I mean that's still that's thirty years young. Tony Larusso was probably managing when he was Tony Larusso was managing when he was born, I think. Um, <laughs> right? Maybe maybe not then. 
I think yeah, that was I mean, before, actually, but still. I, I know he, he managed he managed Steve Carlton, which is yeah, fantastic. Um, Didn't he? He managed Minnie Minoso. Yeah, he did. I think so. Eighties. <laughs> He's gonna manage Minnie Minoso and Garrett Crochet. Yeah. That is all right. Yeah. It's... Minoso was born in. I think you pointed this out earlier. Minoso was born in like 1925. Yeah. And Crochet, Crochet was born, born in 1998 or something like that. 99. 99. 99. Because yeah. he turned 21. It's yeah. That's pretty. That's insane. That's like yeah. how many different decades is that of of people he managed? Twenties. Probably 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. That's eight different decades, assuming that he's gotten someone from all of them. Yeah, that is uh, <laughs> wild. wild. If he if he succeeds with the White Sox, then big big tip of the cap to him. That's a, that's a yeah. straight up legend. Let me of, ask you this: If this team was managed by AJ Hinch, would you say that they are the odds-on favorite to win the American League? Um. Because that's a guy uh, with very recent postseason experience. I know that he does have the whole, you know, stigma attached to him. But, you know, I think in the clubhouse on a personal standpoint that they can probably let go of that. Um, well, I mean, we'll never know. And I guess we'll see it in a Detroit with a team that's developing. Yeah, uh, that's a good question. Because still, when I go to the postseason, it's not necessarily entirely on the uh, – it's not necessarily entirely on the manager – it's also like the roster and being able to handle the moments as well. And like, I think the Yankees have, the Yankees are very good with that. But then again, I guess the, the Rays kind of walk through everything with a generally inexperienced roster. So, I mean, I guess, I guess, yeah, I guess I would, if they, if they had AJ Hinge, maybe I would have them as the favorite to win the American league. But, you know, and they're bringing back Adam Eaton too. Like that's a clubhouse guy who also has postseason experience. Yeah, fills out the outfield too, and it and it uh, it uh circles or it brings that trade to full circle too. Yeah, him and him and Giolito and and Ronaldo Lopez. All right. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah. What a trade! What a trade for Rick Hahn. What a yeah! What an absolute move! And uh, yeah, I mean he he had he, that was a that was a big get, and I guess he did have a. Uh, that one swing and a miss back in 2015 well that was i mean that was early like that's when you didn't realize was a sting until two years later like you knew immediately that that trade was bad yeah like Um, when james shields was traded your first your first thought wasn't oh shoot the white Sox just got absolutely fleeced in this yeah that's true and uh and yeah, they won the uh, Jimenez cease trade as well. They did, and it's not like that. And it's not like they have a hole at shortstop anyway. Like I'm sure you'd rather have Fernando Tatis Jr. there, but Tim Anderson's no- nothing to be ashamed of at all. He, in fact, it's something to be proud of. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, is that all we have on Hendricks to the White Sox? I would say so. All right. So the, and I guess a big move for the biggest threat i guess you would say to the white Sox, Mm -hmm. the new york yankees uh made two big moves we'll start with the with the bigger move uh dj lomay here we talked about him last week in terms of you know talk you know talks seem to be going bad they seem to be but it all seemed it all seemed to be a bunch of nonsense it's all part of the plan 
it was all part of the plan. DJ and his team got word out that the Yankees were were slow playing him, and the Yankees were like, "All right, we'll we'll give you what whatever that whatever that extra thing was. We'll give you that extra year. We'll give you that extra AAV. I don't know what it was, but uh, they got the deal done. I think it was what was it Friday or something like that. Um, yes, it was Friday. Yeah, they got the deal done. DJ LeMahieu. Uh, signed with the Yankees for six years and $90 million. Um, a lot of people are thinking the that DJ might have gotten the short end of the stick, but, you know, it's uh, after a COVID year, so who knows. But he got he got his deal. Him and the Yankees are uh, are happily married for the next for the next six years. How about that? Yeah, uh, this is a move that. I think we all knew it needed to be made on both sides. Like DJ LeMahieu is better as a Yankee and the Yankees are better with DJ LeMahieu. Uh, you see what he did to that offense in 2019. He turned them from exclusively just home run hitting in 2018 to all around good at everything in 2019. And they, they couldn't survive without him. Like he's a leader on the field. He's a leader off the field. He's a guy that the Yankees just desperately needed to have. Uh, yeah, for sure. And what should also be mentioned is in 2019, he pretty much saved the lineup with, you know, both judge and Stanton being out. And he's that one consistent guy or one of the, the biggest consistent guy you can have um, playing every day. I know he, you know, he missed 10 out of 60 games, which, you know, isn't that big of a deal. And yeah, he's been a consistent guy. He's been, I mean, the, the numbers with runners in scoring position, I'm, I'm trying to, see i know you know in 2019 he almost hit 400 with runners in scoring position this year it was very similar he won the batting title last year and uh also led the yeah he led the american league in ops last year as well um i mean yeah it's it's a it's a it's a match made in in heaven for both sides yeah and uh you know i guess you know after after all the uh hoopla and like you know we were we talked about it last week too is heading in the offseason or like dj lemay who's definitely going back to the to the yankees and then i guess i guess we realized all the um all the all the rumors with all the other teams were just kind of a we're just kind of the long game for for dj lemay and it ended up being he ended up being back so didn't didn't have much to worry about um in terms of yeah trying to find a stat right now (laughs) yeah i'm I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to use the split finder on uh on stat head okay anyway i'll just i'm just gonna say this um you know i mentioned dj lemay he was better as a yankee and he he has played his entire career in very hitter friendly ballparks a lot of years in Coors field and obviously the last two years at yankee stadium um there is a distinguishable difference between his career statistics at home and on the road. Uh, just to give you an idea, specifically last year, his, uh, his SOPS plus, uh, which is, you know, split OPS plus on the year at home was 227. That means he was 127% better according to OPS than the average player at home. His TOPS plus, which is according to his own stats was 147. So he was 40% better 
on the at home than he was on the road last year alone. And for his career, that TOPS plus is 122. So he is noticeably better when he plays at home at either Colorado or New York. And uh, I really don't know if we would have seen the same amount of success if he went anywhere else. Yeah, um, that's true. And he does have he does have a, a, a swing that kind of sprays it all around the field. So him yeah. hitting it to right, um, you know, that short, famous short porch, mm-hmm. um, it, it helps him out a little bit, I guess. And uh, one thing about his ability to hit with um, men in scoring position, uh, minimum 105 plate appearances with uh, runners in scoring positions since the beginning of 2019 he has the highest average with runners in scoring position he has a 386 average yeah with runners in scoring position since the beginning of 2019 so basically a season plus of one in uh 1.37 years yeah of uh of baseball there where he hit 386 with runners in scoring position which is uh a real a real weapon so yeah, that's that's how good Lemayhew is. He's been, I you know, I think he's in the past two years he's been top ten in, among position players and like wins above replacement and all that. He's been uh, top five in the MVP vote each of the last two years. So uh, it's pretty obvious how good he's. It, like, uh, I guess the one question is like the average annual value. And Ken Rosenthal was actually tweeting about it, saying that saying that like the average annual annual value doesn't mean as much because this is like the last big contract he's getting. So he cared more about well, yeah. the years and the financial security. Like yeah. He, was, he easily took a six year, $90 million deal over a four year, $80 million deal. Yeah, no, I mean, that's when you're in that stage of your career where you've already DJ LeMahieu has already made, uh, you know, quite a bit of money from arbitration and from, uh, he's made $41 million already. So like, he's already set for life. And at this point it's like, okay, just like build me a bridge to the rest of, for the rest of my career. Uh, and then if I'm still going great, but if I'm not going, I have, you know, a good, you know, I'm at a, a good age where I can feel safe. And uh, that's, that's really what the goal was. And that's where he got, because he's going to be 37 at the end of that contract. Obviously who knows what he's really going to be able to do at age 37, but the Yankees aren't planning for that. They're planning for the, basically the first three years of that contract where they're going to be in a championship window and he's going to be in his prime. Yes, uh, that is true. He's he's kind of the security blanket for them. Yeah. Uh, being in the postseason. And, and yeah, the I think – I forget who tweeted it out, but I think it might have been this, this guy, Pat Pergazzo, who uh, came with – the other team's offers he's he heard that i think the dodgers offered four years 60 million which is the exact same average annual value and the blue jays offered four years 78 million yeah that's yeah something like that that's what i saw as well which is uh like the difference in average annual value from what he would have gotten in toronto and what he got with new york is almost five million but one of the security with the years and the total money. So there we go for, for DJ LeMahieu. Any, any more thoughts on this particular deal with uh, with a Yankees player? 
the Yankees did the right thing. Uh, this is a, their number one priority going into the offseason should have been get DJ LeMahieu back. It doesn't matter what it takes. One thing I do question, though, is what does this mean for guys like Aaron Judge, guys like Glaber Torres, guys like Gio Urshela when they hit their free agency? Like, are they going to, you know, I, I know that they are the New York Yankees, but in a salary, in a luxury tax league, you know, are you going to want to pay all those guys when you also have Giancarlo Stanton, when you also have Garrett Cole, when you, I mean, who else? They also have, they have a lot of more big contracts, right? Um, yeah, I'm uh, I'm blanking on names right now, but they're definitely out there. I mean, some of them, some of them did just end, like Ellsbury and Tanaka. Mm-hmm. Um, that is true. It would have been it would have been a lot easier to make a list had it been one year ago. Yeah. Um. But yeah. Uh, By the way, actually, one thing I do want to note. There's been a little, there's been some rumors floating around that have been debunked that uh, the Yankees are looking for that were, they were going for Luis Castillo uh, of the Reds. Chris, you saw that, right? Yeah. Like those rumors that were floating around. Um, I don't remember who reported it and I wish I knew, but I saw something that like the Reds asked for Glaber Torres and I'm going to find, I need to find this report. The Reds asked for Glaber Torres and the Yankees uh, shut that down. I'm going to, I have a take. If I'm the Yankees, I would have taken that deal. You know why? Because yeah. if you get Luis Castillo, how many years of control is that? Like three, at least. Um, yeah. Three years, three years. If you let go of Gleyber Torres, obviously that hurts, but he hasn't really found himself as a defensive player at shortstop. And next year is the year of free agent shortstop. So imagine you, you trade Gleyber Torres, you get one year of kind of, kind of a little hole at shortstop, but you have Luis Castillo and then you go out and sign Trevor Story or Corey Seager next year. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like that would have been, that would have been a 40 chess move by Brian Cashman. If he did that, I understand wanting to keep Gleyber Torres, especially when you're trying to compete next year, but that would have been a really good move in the long term for them. Yeah. And I guess it could, yeah, it would be a good move, but I guess from a GM's perspective, like uh, you can't. It was Heyman. It was Heyman reported it. Okay, yeah, Reds asked the Yankees for shortstop Glaber Torres plus in Castillo talks, uh, just as said on MLB Network. That makes sense for both as both are young stars. Cincinnati needs a shortstop. Yankees said no. Also not a surprise. Now Castillo very likely to stay in Cincy. Yeah, like, uh, I, but I do understand from a GM's perspective because it could could bite you in the back because you know there's possibilities of these teams extending you know their short stops mm-hmm. you know, i i think story will you know go into free agency and correct i do too yeah agency. no i don't think nolan arenado is probably at his doorstep being like don't do it yeah like um seager might be extended we'll see um I'm not sure. Uh, he had a came off just a breakout year. Uh, you also have Correa, but I can't imagine the Yankees are going to be interested in him. Uh, yeah, I, I'm going to guess no. Uh, yeah, I think the I think they'd rather put a, a bag of rocks at shortstop. Yeah. So, um, and and there's a possibility. That, obviously, it's very unlikely, but there is a possibility that Francisco Lindor will be a free agent. I think he signs with an extension with the Mets. Uh, but yeah, like next year, obviously, you have the free agent class of shortstops. Uh, I thought it would have been an interesting move for the Yankees to trade Glaber, get Luis Castillo for two years with a, with a free agent shortstop, like a story or a Seager or a Lindor. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, personally, and 
Torres has what? Uh, four years. Four years of control. I, th- I still think Castillo might be more valuable as it stands because, like, Torres, you know, he's a good shortstop. He came off a tough year, I'm pretty sure, last year. I, he I, had a 102 ERA plus or OPS plus. Um, okay, he turned it around. I remember, like, at the in through like August, he had like a well, like six, last mid, year was 600. so short. Last year was so short that, like, if you had like a good five, like a really good five games, like that's considered turning it around. And yeah. I think- kind of what he had yeah like he, he was in the mid 600s okay so you know he's a i guess maybe he's not yeah that much in his last valuable than like castillo in his last 10 games he slashed 206 325 353 678 okay so i kind of get yeah because i was thinking like a, a torres for castillo straight up deal i think that that would be a win for the yankees but maybe maybe not so obviously so you know short stops yeah. short stops are you know they're not ex- expected to do as much offensively so like having a pretty good pr- having pretty good offensive production from a guy like that is very valuable and like i guess there's more free agent starters from, sept- get. from september 9th to september 16th he had a he had a stretch where his his ops went from 697 to 757 and then it went down to 724. So it's kind of, it was, he kind of just had a really good small sample, uh, which brought his OPS up a lot because that's kind of just the nature of a 60 game season. But yeah. Yeah. What, how many games span was that again? Sorry. Uh, well, the one, the first one I read was 10. Uh, and th- this one may have overlapped with the final 10 as well. Uh, let me go back to it. It was here to here, I think. It was uh, seven games. From, yeah, seven games. From September 9th to September 16th, he had a four. He had an eleven seventy three OPS. Yeah, it's just that Castillo is has been so good the last two years. Yeah. Uh, you know, one hundred thirty seven ERA plus in twenty nineteen, one forty eight ERA plus in uh twenty twenty, and his FIP was still far below his ERA in uh in twenty twenty. So like, you'd love. You'd love to have a guy like that, and especially like he's so entertaining to watch too. Not that that means anything for your franchise, but that's nice to, nice to watch. I thought that would have been an interesting move if that happened. Yeah, I mean, it's you know sacrificing part of your lineup for your rotation, which desperately needs, and it's like a part of your future core as well. But also, and yeah. Casino's twenty eight. Glaber's, I think, going into his age twenty four season. Oh. Did you know uh, Glaber Torres is going into his age twenty four season? I just I just said that, yeah. <laughs> no, the the I know I know what you're talking about. Yes, I get the, the meme, but yeah. like twenty four is still twenty four. Yeah, I didn't realize Castillo was uh so uh so old. Yeah, well he was he was in the Marlins organization for a while. Yeah, yeah, it's like uh, it's like Lefty Grove who who didn't pitch in the MLB until he was twenty. When I when I think of Luis Castillo, the first name that comes to mind is Lefty Grove. It's like when Lefty Grove pitched five years with the International League Baltimore Orioles before they were actually the MLB Baltimore Orioles, and uh, and and Baltimore Orioles owner Jack Dunn said he. Wouldn't give him up for a hundred. You're you're spoiling the next episode for for a hundred thousand dollars, and eventually he caved at at the end of the 1924 off season. Yeah, 
but that's a preview for uh our next episode <laughs> which is a a history one yeah funny funny that uh I just I mean I, I set that one right up for you. I do enjoy when uh I do enjoy being set up like that. And yeah, you know, when I when I thought when I started talking about Luis Castillo, I was like, all right, he's gotta spin this into Lepi Grove. He knows <laughs> he knows what he's doing. Yeah, I just find a way to find a way to insert my history guys into <laughs> uh into regular 2020 baseball talk. Uh but yeah. I guess that transitions into uh the other move the Yankees made we talked about you know we talked about Luis Castillo that would be a very good piece to a Yankees rotation that's ailing right now you know you have Garrett Cole and you don't have much else I guess you have Luis Severino coming back at some point you never really know when that's going to happen my guess is like June yeah he got no. he got the surgery in late February so yeah he'll be coming back probably in the middle of the season probably in the summer but the Yankees went out and they signed Corey Kluber for was it what one year? One year, eleven mil. Eleven mil. Eleven mil. Yeah. Uh, you know, this is a really a we'll see what happens type of deal. Mm-hmm. Um, he pitched exactly one inning last year. Uh, it was a dominant a, inning though. Zero ERA. Yeah. yeah. Lowest ERA in the big leagues. Minimum one inning. One inning pitched. Yeah. It was uh, it was pretty legendary. I mean, if you, I mean, if you wanna, if you don't wanna cherry pick, you could also say minimum point two innings pitched. He also leads it. Yeah, uh, that's very true. That's very true. Um, I think you could probably do it for point one too. Let me see. Hold yes, on. for sure. Yeah, no, he actually did that. He led that too. Minimum a third inning pitched. Uh, Corey Kluber was tied for the lead uh, in ERA. Well, you know, he did get he got extremely lucky. A four one nine. <laughs> in one inning a four one nine. Oh man yeah he, he did have that walk he did have nine walks per nine in fairness yeah <laughs> and he just could not stop walking people yeah it was just it was like that uh it was like that uh that gif that's that like looney tunes gift yep gif where the uh where the Guy, guys, they go, they're like, the yeah, they're in like the conga line going around the bases. That was Corey Kluber in his in his inning pitch last year. But yeah, Corey Kluber, he, you know, he's a he's a name. He's won two Cy Youngs, of course. He finished third in the Cy Young vote in uh, 2018. Was a 20 game winner in 2018. Uh, you know, two eight nine ERA, fantastic, fantastic. Led the league and, in innings pitched. Led the league in innings pitched. Complete games, shutouts as well. Probably tied for the lead there. Only had two complete games. Um, Shut out. I had to write about this. I believe Fangraphs had him projected for a 405 ERA and 148 innings pitched. Uh, and if he can provide that for the Yankees, like that's that's a win, honestly. Yeah, it is. But the, the steamer and, uh, projections had that. So we we talk about you know he had a great era, 2014 to 2018, fantastic five year span of, of pitching. Oh, his zips. Sorry, sorry to interrupt. His zips projections were not available when I checked it last Friday. Uh, they're up now. Uh, 118. What? Chris, I need to know how he's going to pitch 118.7 innings in 2021. <laughs> That's hilarious. The <laughs> when you go to uh, leaderboards, awards, and honors on Baseball Reference, they have that like same mistake in the uh, when you find out top 10 in innings, innings pitched, it'll be like. A hundred, it'll be it'll say like 
207.5. Okay, so that probably means two-thirds, I'm assuming. I guess. 118 and two-thirds innings pitched, a 387 ERA with a 393 FIP, 9 and 7, 8.8 strikeouts per nine, uh, 2.2 walks per nine, 1.29 home runs per nine. 2.5, 2.5 F war. That's not bad. Uh, Yeah, that's a quality season. Yeah. So, yeah, Kluber, you know, excellent pitcher from 2014 to 2018. Then 2019 happens. He's injured pretty much the entire season. Only pitches. But in fairness, he got hurt because he got hit by a comebacker, I'm pretty sure, right? Um, I'm pretty sure that's what happened. Oh, yeah. It was in Miami. It was like a fracture or something. Yeah. So, like, you can't really blame that on like his aging or something like that like you can't be look look at that and be like oh he was injured in 2019 he's like washed yeah and he had so he went 35 in 35 and two-thirds innings in uh 2019 uh, a 5-8 era then in 2020 you know he gets traded to texas we had a we had a big rant on paul dolan yeah uh, when that happened that was our last our last uh, episode of first semester freshman year, man. And uh, yeah, that was our ballot reveal episode. So I guess oh. to, uh, so we, we got it. So every time we were talking about ballots, Corey Kluber's in the news. Yeah, exactly. Cool. So yeah, Kluber uh, last year, it's, he comes in pretty big ex- expectations. It's like, this guy's going to be the Corey Kluber of old and uh, goes one inning and he gets, he gets hurt. Well, wasn't it like a shoulder issue? I th- that sounds right. Yeah, something with the arm. And uh, yeah, only pitches one inning last year, so it's like we'll see. It's a it's a we'll see what happens signing for sure. Yeah, uh, I really don't see a a scenario where this doesn't work for the Yankees. Like one year, eleven mil is not much, and you know you're obviously hoping he can provide for you on the field. But if he can't the very least he's going to be able to provide veteran presence to guys like Debbie Garcia and Clark Schmidt and even Jordan Montgomery, who are still, you know, young and trying to become better pitchers. And I do believe that Corey Gleber will be help, uh, will be helpful to aid them in that sense. Uh, yeah, he definitely had that. He definitely has that veteran leadership and that was um, definitely applied when he was in Cleveland, when he had all those young guys under him, like uh, Bauer, Clevenger, yeah, and the Yankees, the Yankees finally got a Cy Young winner too. Uh, yeah, finally. Took a, took about took a, took enough time. <laughs> yeah, a, a long time. But yeah, and yeah, he definitely can bring that guidance. And if he's healthy, innings are very valuable. You know, even when he didn't win the Cy Young, he led the league in innings. If he can just provide, if he can just give the bullpen a good rest if they need to and give up, you know, three earned runs or even four earned runs, but still go maybe six innings, that's valuable in itself as well. You know, maybe not in the wins of a replacement sense, but it has, it has value for sure. And yeah, I mean, it can't be a disaster because it's only a one-year deal. Um, It's just, you know, I, with uh, my thoughts on it, I, I feel like it, It'll be, it's hard for me to see him having a full on comeback season. And I think that would be, you'd have very high expectations if you, if you expected that. You know, I could see a season, a a good season from Kluber is sort of that, like those projections you had low fours ERA, 
maybe get in 170 innings pitched. Um, I think that would be a good quality season you're getting out of a 35 a, a year old. We should also mention. Yeah. Um, anything else? No, not really. It's kind of it's sort of a minor deal, even though it's a bigger name. It's uh, yeah. It's just like, hey, we'll see. We'll see what happens. You can't really gauge anything on it because you don't know what's going on with Corey Kluber's body. So, uh, yeah, that's uh, that's Corey Kluber. And I guess there's some other minor deals um, we could get to. Uh, uh, well, what was just announced before the show, uh, John Lester going to the Nationals for a one-year deal. That's pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, last year was the worst year of his career, but, you know, it's only 60 games. Uh, I feel like, I mean, this is just a ticking a flyer move pretty much. He's going to be 37 next year. Um, I'm starting to wonder, do we think he could be on a Hall of Fame track? Um, maybe. It's John a big maybe. Le- yeah, I mean, like his postseason, he's one of the best postseason uh, pitchers of all time for sure. I think uh, in our in our group chat with uh, two other guys, um, there was a question of you know, best, you know, postseason starters since 2000. Lester wasn't in my four that was asked upon, but he was definitely in consideration. Yeah. Um, I was thinking, I've, I've thought about his case. I mean, you know, 44.6 B war uh, is kind of hard to get over. I'm trying to look at it like peak war and stuff. Obviously, you know, his career is not over, but his best days are certainly behind him. Behind him. Yeah. You know, his peak war, his peak war is around where like Pettit and Burley's peak war is. It's just, it, it is. Doesn't, doesn't have the longevity that they did. So it's mostly just, you know, how much do you value a postseason resume? And I value it quite a bit, but I don't know if it's still enough. To, uh, I mean, the fact that he pitched he's pitched 154 innings in the postseason definitely is it make gives him a strong case a, a two 2.51 era is just for ridi- 2.51 postseason era is ridiculous strike out to walk ratio of 3.3 yeah that's you don't you, you don't really see that out of out of anybody it's crazy also if it wasn't for David Ortiz he would have easily been the the World Series MVP in 2015 and 2013. Yeah, two great starts in that uh, five nine ERA in that series. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, he was a big part. He was a big reason why he they won in twenty thirteen and why the Cubs won in twenty sixteen. And he made a good start in in oh seven, uh, in uh in game four of the World Series, five and two thirds scoreless. I think it was. Uh, yeah. But I guess you know. Yeah, it's just like he might be a, a number five. I'm trying to think of who's after Strasburg, uh, Corbin. Scherzer and Corbin. Uh, Eric Fetty, Austin both. I know Sanchez is on the market, so Anibal Sanchez yeah. is not uh, – probably will not be back with them. No. We'll see. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I guess it's kind of a we'll see, we'll see how it works out kind of deal, and maybe like – they might put him in the bullpen at some point. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, this is definitely a, a take a flyer on a guy. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And uh, 
the last minor deal we'll go over is uh, Joe Musgrove. And it's, this is a three-team deal. I think Joe yeah, Musgrove. Yeah, the Mets, Padres, and Pirates. Yeah, it's some prospects moving. The, the major leaguer to go is uh, Joe Musgrove going to also, the Padres. Also Joey Lucchesi. Uh, Joey Lucchesi. Starting pitcher from the Padres going to the Mets. Uh, he was pretty good. He's been all right since he came up. Last year he struggled, but a 96. Actually, both pitchers in this deal have a 96 ERA plus in their career. Uh, Lucchesi <laughs> actually looked pretty good for the Padres in like the 18-19 era before they were before they were you know set in stone. Uh, kind of a minor deal, but still interesting. I thought he's also projected a 4-3-4 with 9.1 strikeouts per nine in 2021. Yeah. Uh, the thing we were, we actually were discussing about before the uh, show was being recorded was like Musgrove, you know, he's a guy who where baseball savant tells kind of a different story, not completely different, but it says he's better than uh, than what has actually been the results on the field. And I think one optimistic thing about you, one, one optimistic thing you could be with Joe Musgrove, actually, first of all, Pirates guy getting traded away. He's coming off a, a system that's where like guys have left and flourished outside of that system, like uh, Garrett Cole and Tyler Glass now, and a couple of couple other guys. So you have that. So maybe the Padres could sort of fix him. And uh, his you know ex ERA and FIP have been below his ERA indicating that he should be doing better than he actually is. Maybe you get the San Diego Padres defense behind him. He's producing better numbers. So I don't know. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I kind of just saw this as uh, it's a, I will say, I do think the pirates actually did a decent job. Uh, they got Hudson head from the Padres. That is their number seven overall prospect, uh, which I thought wasn't too bad for two years of Joe Musgrove. You get a, Number seven overall prospect from a team with a loaded farm system. Not bad. Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. Interesting that the Padres would do that. I don't know, but I guess uh, I guess this this is kind of their Zach Davies replacement. Yeah. Um, as they traded Davies away for the uh, Cubs. Yeah. To the Cubs for Darvish. Um. But yeah, I guess that would make sense and. Maybe I think Davies Davies had a high expected ERA. Maybe uh, the Padres defense helped with that, but I don't know. It's it's a lot of speculation there. Yeah, pretty minor deal. Um, but any any more on the uh, world of baseball as as it is currently? Nope. All right, so now we are going to uh, our bubble case of the week. This is pretty unique because we're going over six players, all with. PED histories. Um, first of all, we'll get we'll kind of start out with um, our views on, you know, PEDs and and where they belong in the in the Hall of Fame. So, Daniel, start out. Where do you what do you view? How do you view you know PED guys on the uh, Hall of Fame ballot? So to understand where I'm at now, I think you need to go back to when I was in eighth grade. Uh, ninth grade, we'll say ninth grade, uh, just starting out high school around this time uh, in that year. 
Uh, I was against steroids. I didn't think that PED users had a place in Cooperstown. I didn't understand why we needed to celebrate these people uh, who cheated the game. And then Mike Piazza got in. And the second he got in, Chris, the very second, I was like, okay, floodgates are open now. Let them all in. Because Mike, not, not only is Mike Piazza a like suspected PED user, no, 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 no. He admitted to it. He said before he got in, in an autobiography that he wrote, in 2013, years before, that he took Andro, which is a steroid. The only difference, of course, is that was that it wasn't classified as a steroid when he took it. Now, with that being said, not, not, nothing was really classified as a steroid in Major League Baseball uh, up until 2004, which is your, uh, which is something that you know means a lot to you in this case. So I don't understand why we have guys like Piazza and then since guys like Jeff Bagwell, Pudge Rodriguez were in the Hall of Fame who had suspected PED use. Obviously, you know, they never actually tested positive there and never suspended, but they're in the Hall of Fame. So why can't we let all of them in? You know, Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens, it almost seems like they shouldn't have been as good because it was so obvious that they were taking PEDs uh, and whatnot. So I don't understand why we leave them out and we let other guys in. So uh, as soon as Piazza got in, I was all for steroids, but uh, I do have a bit of a heightened standard. If you, if you are a suspected PED user, user, I think you need to have convinced me during your career that you could have been a hall of fame producer without it. Uh, Or you just have to live up to a certain standard where you were just too good, even well on steroids for me not to let you in. And some of the guys on this list passed that standard. Some didn't. And we'll get into that in a second. But uh, Chris, I'll let you go into your PED boundaries. Yeah, so my PED, my views on um, guys with PED histories have definitely evolved, especially in the past year or so, just doing my own research. You know, like when I was getting into baseball, this was right at the tail end of, you know, everyone was getting all the news about steroids is coming out and, you know, A-Rod was a big, had a big target on his back because there was, you know, he was suspected for steroids back in like 2008, 2009, there was a huge stigma about steroids so bad. And, you know, how could they, how could they have done this? So I was kind of led to believe, you know, that they were a very bad thing. So, you know, I didn't really, uh, and then, and then like, you know, I, and I wasn't really paying that much attention to the hall of fame until like high school anyway. So I just thought, you know, steroids bad. And then I saw that like, you know, people who I, you know, respected in like baseball writing were putting bonds and and Clemens on their ballot. So I was like, you know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm thinking about this wrong. Uh, So I was like, all right. So I was more open to like the bonds Clemens types. And then, uh, I think fall of like 2019, I looked up when like uh, testing started for PED use and testing, testing started in 03. Uh, so last year, I kind of did it based on like who was good before 03. And then I realized now that PED suspensions weren't even handed out till 2005. So now I basically look like, look at, well, first of all, if, now how i look at it if you were never suspended for peds i don't really i don't really care honestly you know steroids were 
PEDs were legal anyway. Pretty pretty much, you know, pretty much legal before 2004. Everyone knew what was going on with PEDs. Um, <clears throat> everyone knew what was going on with PEDs. Everyone knew how to drug test people. You know, there were office jobs that had drug tests. You think they couldn't do that in Major League Baseball? Everyone knew what was going on. So if you were never suspended for PEDs, I don't really even consider it. And, you know, if you played beyond uh, 04 and you didn't get caught, congratulations, you didn't get caught. So there's not really any definitive proof that you were a PED user while it was illegal. You know, Bonds and Clemens did never, never suspended for PEDs. Um, for players that were suspended for PEDs, there's only one guy on this particular ballot, but there will be more guys on Hall of Fame ballots in the future, especially starting next year with Alex Rodriguez. Um, for guys that were suspended for PEDs, you know, I don't think, I don't look at it as necessarily an affront to where like you, like you can't, my punishment for a guy who took, who got suspended for PEDs is I'm not counting anything you did after uh, 2004. So, you know, with a, we'll get into Manny Ramirez. I look at basically what did you do before 2005? And then you were taking PEDs beyond 2005. You were not paying, playing on a uh, level playing field because, you know, before 05, if you're taking steroids, you were still on a level playing field because it was perfectly uh, legal. So I'm kind of, I kind of have a, you know, I don't really hear a lot of people with my take on it. People still usually even while PEDs were legal, still look at it like, all right, you were, you were using, you know, you know, most, most people have kind of your angle on it is like, all right, Bonds and Clemens were clearly the best with or without steroids. So they deserve to be. And I have kind of a weird take on it. Yeah. yeah that's, that's kind of, that's the best de definitive answer I can do with the PED history. So I'm going to let you get into, uh, to the first couple of couple of guys who uh, who were talking about with these yeah. PEDs histories. So this is big. Uh, Bonds and Clemens, obviously, they've been the talking point since they debuted on the ballot in 2013, and they're both in their ninth of ten years. They are each around 60, 60 to 61 percent last year. They've had trouble gaining pretty much for the last three years, and they haven't netted anything positive thus far this year. Uh, Bonds is exactly at net zero. Clemens is minus one because one guy who voted for Clemens but not Bonds decided to go neither, which is very weird. I really don't understand the people who vote Bonds but not Clemens or Clemens but not Bonds, but they they are out there and John Heyman is actually one of them. But, you know, they do them. And, uh, you know, they are the best two PED uh, users in history, so to speak. I mean, Bonds is, you could say he's the best player of all time. Clemens, you could say he's the best pitcher of all time. Bonds has the most MVP awards with seven. Clemens has the most Cy Young awards also with seven. You know, Bonds is the all-time home run leader. Clemens, I'm pretty sure, is the all-time, is close to the all-time strikeout leader. I think only Nolan Ryan is better than him and maybe yeah. Randy Johnson too. Yeah. Um, so those are those two. Um, this is really, I really can't confidently say at this point if they're going to get in this year or not. Um a lot, I think a lot of people have the belief that a lot of the writers are just going to make them sweat it out until their 10th year, but they're going to need a lot of writers uh, 
to be on their side going into next year because around three years ago, I envisioned they would be at like 65% at least uh, going into their last year and they need to gain like 50 votes. They're going to need to do a lot more of that. I would be stunned if they get to 65 this year. Stunned. Um, and that's going to determine the fate of guys in the future like Manny Ramirez, who we're about to talk about, Gary Sheffield, Sammy Sosa, Andy Pettit. And next year you have guys like A-Rod and Ortiz who also have uh, either allegations or confirmations that they took steroids going on the ballot. And it's going to be tough to let those guys in if we can't let Bonds and Clements in. Uh, yeah, that is true. It's a big, like this is, this kind of determines the future. Of, next year uh, is going to be freaking huge. Yeah, for sure. Uh, with, with Bonds and Clements. Cause yeah, if, if those two don't get in, then I would say goodbye to, um, all the other guys on this ballot. I mean, Sosa's also going to be in his last year. I don't think Sosa's getting in anyway. Um, yeah, so Sosa's not. Yeah. You know. <laughs> like, though, he's been on nine ballots. He hasn't gotten above like 30% head. No. Yeah, he just uh, is not getting that love. But yeah, it's a, it's a big deal for the future of the Hall of Fame. Because, yeah, I mean, yeah, both you know, suspected PED users, probably confirmed PED users. But yeah, I mean, uh, back back to the point of Mike Piazza and Jeff Bagwell were also suspected PED users. Piazza and Rodriguez, and who went first ballot. Yeah. Um, so it's pretty wild. You know, we've discussed it. It's kind of a popularity contest as it is. Um, so yeah, yeah. and then... Uh, we go into kind of the, I guess, likely the third best player on the ballot with uh, performance enhancing drug history. Uh, Manny Ramirez. He is on his fifth ballot and he has been between 22 and 29% each year he's been on. Uh, thus far, he is netted plus four and is at 34.9% of the vote. So, you know, he's not getting in, getting in anytime soon. But I mean, I guess there's potential if both if Bonds and Clemens find a way in, Ramirez could find a way in uh, later on. And uh, yeah, likely the third best player on the ballot with PED history. He's the only player on the ballot uh, who has been suspended for per performance enhancing drugs. So it's been confirmed 100 percent that while he played, he used performance enhancing drugs. He was suspended twice uh, for performance enhancing drugs and when we go through uh, my line of thinking, look at what he did before 2005, you know, you know, he didn't play at a level playing field after 05 because PEDs were, uh, were illegal. Um, so before 05, he had 50.7 career B war, 50.2 career F war and a 156 OPS plus in a little over 6,500 plate appearances um, so how I look at Manny Ramirez like through 2004 is a very Ralph Kiner like uh, mm -hmm. career. If you just took what he did in his first, uh, I guess it would be 12 years of baseball. Uh, if you don't know, Ralph, Ralph Kiner was a guy who like played 12 years. He played. Yeah. He played 12 years and he was consistently like a top five finisher in MVPs, but he didn't get like the crazy count statistics because he uh, 
he got injured and retired at like the age of 32 or something like that. Yeah. Um, Ramirez, uh, Ramirez is a whole very, very impressive career. It's 69.3 career B war, 66.3 career F war and a 154 career OPS plus in 9,774 plate appearances. Uh, he's top 20, both he's t- top 20 all time in both home runs and RBI. 555 home runs, 1,831 RBI. And he is ninth all-time in OPS with a 996 and 25th all-time in OPS plus. So uh, what are your – how do you look at uh, Manny Ramirez? Uh, I have voted for him in the last two years. I'll I'll just say that. Yeah, and he – Not including this year. Yeah, you – last year and the year before that, I voted for Manny Ramirez. Yeah, and you've you've mentioned. I remember um, your reasoning in uh, last year is like nine ninety six OPS. That meets your th- your threshold for. Yeah, I mean, a guy who is who would, who was on PED. That's literally four points behind Mike Trout's career. Yeah, uh, it's yeah nine ninety six OPS is pretty pretty crazy. And through two thousand four, he had a career ten ten OPS. Which is, uh, <laughs> insane insane what that guy was was able to do and uh very very interesting character as well but yeah that's that's manny ramirez so that's that's kind of you know what what he is as a as a player only guy suspended for peds very impressive resume in terms of his uh statistics then you get into Gary Sheffield, who actually last year I didn't know had PED history, but uh, he, he does. was in the Mitchell Report, but that was it. Mitchell Report, and uh, I think. And even then, a lot like, of people have denounced the the Mitchell Report because it wasn't actually like a PED test. I believe it was like a an anonymous survey about testing. Right, I'm pretty sure that's what the Mitchell Report actually was. I'm not sure, but he also was linked to uh, the same company that helped out uh iron sosa and uh barry bonds balco balco yeah he was he was in that uh whole balco thing i just i just remember that uh whatever that word is for um for uh the the thing you know balco is it's all capital letters i don't know it's it makes a word and it's all all the letters stand for something whatever that means that that was the company um but yeah sheffield is on his seventh ballot uh so he's got after this year he's got uh he's got three more and yeah, okay was, hold on can i just pause for something sorry yeah go ahead uh the player this is from wikipedia uh so take that however you will but uh the players association had agreed to anonymous testing in 2003 only to find out the list of players testing positive was turned over to the government uh as part of the this is what balco is bay area laboratory cooperative investigation which later became the mitchell report so the mitchell report wasn't actually supposed to become public information um it was basically supposed to be a survey about testing and it leaked and the players who are mentioned in it have had a witch hunt against them, specifically in the Hall of Fame. So uh, that has been that. Yeah, it's wild. And um, I think it was all a tool. It was a tool for the government to kind of promote which drugs they wanted, whatever, on the market. So right. it's, a, it's a real dirty thing. It's, you know, like 
it's a real slap in the in the face to the players because ultimately, uh, you know, Bud Selig knew exactly what was going on. It is like and Bud and Bud guess where Bud Selig is. He's in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, Bud Selig. That's that. We haven't even mentioned that. Like I've talked so much about like how there are you know there are already PED users in you know the guy who let the whole thing happen for like 15 years was in is in the Hall of Fame and we can't let his own subjects in, which is madness. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Like he yeah. knew not only did he know that it was happening, but like under the table, you know that he was like openly encouraging it because baseball was in its lowest point after the player strike of '94, which canceled the World Series. They needed a way to get people back in the stadiums. And they were like, all right, needles in arms, 500 foot home runs, 100 miles an hour throw pitches, fastballs, people. And that's what happened. And the steroid era pretty much saved baseball. Yeah, 1,400 OPSs at age 39. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Roger Roger Clemens, he's got the ERA title at 42. Don't worry about it. It's okay. He's good. <laughs> he's, I think it's the TB12 method. I know I know it's 2005, but I think he's got that method down. I'd tell you, I mean, he had three rings at that time. He, he was probably out there. I'm, yeah. sure, I'm sure Roger Clemens could have had access to Tom Brady in 2005 and be like, hey, man, what's, I, yeah. let me tell you the secret. Yeah, even though even though Brady was a, was a young lad at the time. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm sure the TB12 method was you know it was taking place. Yeah, because it wasn't public information. That's all. It wasn't. So yeah. So it, anyway, Gary Sheffield. Yeah, it, <laughs> you know to uh, to wrap it up, you know steroids didn't prolong anyone's career. It was really just the TB12 method. It was the TV 12 method and the fact that a lot of these guys, I think Gary Sheffield included, didn't take steroids with the intent of like hitting thousand foot bombs. It was injury relief. Yeah. I mean, I think that, um, I mean, like, like it is sketchy and some, sorry to interrupt, but like Manny had like female, like fertility pills. Like that's obviously like, you're not taking that for, for rehab. Yeah. And I mean, like that's, uh, that's like an advantage too, but you know, it was legal anyway. So no, Manny was just trying to get pregnant. It's all right. Yeah. It's, it's just Manny being Manny. It's all it was, you know, if, yeah. if any he's, man, he's could give, if any man could give birth, I think Manny Ramirez could be that guy. But <laughs> anyway, Gary Sheffield, he's on his seventh ballot. He's got three more after this, after this year, he was between 11 and 14% in his first five times on the ballot uh, made a significant jump last year jumped up to 30.5 percent in 2020 and thus far has netted plus 15 and is currently at 46.3 percent of the vote so i'm thinking that's um i'm thinking that's mostly uh voters who also vote bonds clemens who probably have more room on the ballot this year and are adding sheffield to that mix I would guess, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but um, I guess in my opinion, it's arguable that he is sort of a bubble case with or without PEDs, although, or in other words, he is very comparable to, in terms of wins above replacement to guys that are bubble cases like Bobby Abreu. He's behind Bobby Abreu in both peak war and uh, jaws, which is the average between total wins above replacement and Peak wins above replacement. Peak wins above replacement, of course. Your best, your best seven years season. of yep. wins above replacement. Uh, Sheffield, 
has 60.5 career B war and 62.1 career F war. Um, what makes him stand out and what makes him a very popular pick is he was spectacular offensively, 140 career OPS plus, uh, 907 career OPS in general in 10,947 career plate appearances. So he had that longevity too. Uh, but uh, worst defensive runs above average of all time. So definitely a liability yeah. defensively, um, but offensively very good. 509 career home runs and 2,689 career hits. Uh, you are uh, at, or I guess this is already revealed. Um, you're adding him this year. I did. Yeah. Um, what are you, what are your thoughts on, uh, on Sheffield? Um, the offense was, I honestly just didn't take a hard enough look into his offense before this year. And I think that was kind of it. I remember last year when we did our ballot reveal, you were like, yeah, by the way, Gary Sheffield had a 907 OPS. And I was like, what? So I looked more into it, into it. And I decided it was time. So, uh, yeah, that was kind of a lot of what into my decision. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. He spectacular, uh, offensive player, I think 80 offensive wins above yeah. replacement like negative 27 d war something like yeah. that it's uh it's bad um in terms of defense but offensively one of the best to ever do it and uh sammy sosa is uh the second to last player we'll be talking about um he is along with bonds and clemens on his ninth ballot uh he has never gotten above 13.9 percent and thus far, he has netted plus six and is at 22.1%. It's kind of safe to say he won't get in uh, in the traditional BBWAA form. Not. Maybe uh, maybe sometime in the future on a, on a veterans committee or something like that. Um, but it is worth he is worth mentioning because he's definitely someone to consider. You know, a lot of a lot of this Hall of Fame stuff is like, who do we get mad at not getting into the Hall of Fame? Uh, yeah. this is why we're evaluating. And in very rare cases, who do we get mad at getting into the Hall of Fame? Yes. We yes, haven't had is. one of those in a couple years, but, uh, you know, they, they do come and come and go every now and then. Yeah, that's true. And, and most uh, of the time, it's not the BBWAA that does it. Yes, that is true. Um, Sammy Sosa is another guy. It's arguable that he is a bubble case, you know, in terms of wins above replacement and stuff. With or without PEDs, uh 58.6 career b war for sosa and 60.1 career f war so he's right on that fringe in terms of wins above replacement uh he also has a very defined peak as noted before that's likely linked to performance enhancing drugs you know where he was you know right right up there with mcguire with home runs but before that before like 1993 he was not really making any impact uh, with his teams. And then after 03, he kind of just disappeared. After like 03, 04, it kind of disappeared. Uh, his career OPS plus is 128 in 9,896 career plate appearances. He is ninth all time in home runs. One of the members of the 600 home run club with 609 career home runs. Um, but I guess something we've kind of alluded to is his home runs per se may not carry as much meaning as, you know, a regular member of the 600 home run club, like Albert Pujols or Willie Mays. Uh, it's because he has these 
Uh, lowest OPS plus of anyone in the 600 home run club and the second lowest OPS plus of anyone in the 500 home run club. Uh, I believe there's 27, there's 26 other members of the of the uh, home run club. And uh, he's a, he's a guy that you have uh, consistently left off. I think it's because of the, you know, he, he just doesn't meet that threshold. I'll explain. Yeah. I'll explain a lot more. Uh, in a little bit, but yeah, there's a, it's pretty defined. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Do, do you want to go over that when we do the ballot reveal? Yeah, we'll do it. We'll do it in a, when we finish all this. Yeah. I guess we could explain like some of the bubble cases and explain like why we're not voting for them this year um, after we reveal who we will be voting for. And uh, the last PED player, uh, Andy Pettit, who, you know, he uh, he admitted to using PEDs for a brief period. I think when he was on the Astros, um, didn't never suspended for PEDs. <clears throat> uh, he's on his third ballot, got eleven point three percent of the vote in twenty twenty, and he has netted plus eight thus far, and has sixteen point one percent of the vote. Uh, he's another guy arguable that he is a bubble case with or without PED. So that's kind of something that you could put against him. His career B war is 60.2 career F war 68.2 F war definitely uh, favors him more. Uh, he is also the all time leader in playoff innings starts and wins. And he is fourth all time in playoff win probability added. So you know, he was a big part of the Yankees in the uh, late 90s, early 2000s, and, and also played a role in the playoff runs of the 2004 and 2005 Astros uh, to go along with that, with all those innings. Had 276 and two-thirds uh, playoff innings, which is pretty wild that uh, he was there for that long. Uh, Pettit also, not a very definitive peak, he is very far off from the average Hall of Fame starting pitcher in terms of peak war. And uh, the last thing to mention about Pettit in terms of, you know, where he stands statistically, uh, his career innings, his career innings, ERA, ERA plus, B war and peak war are extremely comparable to Mark Burley. Uh, you you mentioned yeah. that to me earlier this year, but what would you say about uh, Andy Pettit? Um, I mean, Burley is already a fringe candidate. So if you add in the PED allegations, that obviously doesn't make a strong case for him. But I can understand why some people would choose to vote for him. Yeah, you know, he he's kind of part of the – he's a big part of the story of baseball if you want to go into, like, the, uh, you know, the romantic side of baseball. He was always in the playoffs – he did you know he wasn't great in the playoffs but he was very good in the playoffs so that's something to uh he just got a lot of opportunities yeah he got a lot of opportunities and he was sorry he was uh his regular season numbers and postseason numbers are pretty comparable and that's just kind of like pretty good pitcher pretty good pitch for a long time but yeah um that's kind of the those are the PED players. That's kind of a breakdown of where they're at, how good they were in general, with or you know, how their careers panned out. 
how they differentiate why we may not be voting for some some and not others but yeah that's kind of the um the breakdown of the ped players so now we're so now we get into the moment we've all been waiting for huh yeah that's true last year we did it uh, a month earlier yeah because we kind of had no choice yeah we didn't have a podcast it was a it was a live radio show all right uh i guess i'll go first yeah so i already wrote about my hall of fame ballot at the beginning of the month uh on my the blog that i write for the fans magazine uh if you want to look at my twitter uh at daniel underscore current it's on there also the fans mag on instagram uh just at the fans mag uh you can find it there so first i'll go over my seven holdovers um these seven people that i voted for last year that i am continuing to voting for this year and they are barry bonds roger clemens todd helton Manny Ramirez, Scott Rowland, Kurt Schilling, and Billy Wagner. Uh, those seven I am voting for, and I also voted for them last year. So then I'm going to get into the three ads, uh, the three people that I brought onto my ballot this year that were not there in previous years, like last year. And those three are Bobby Abreu, Andrew Jones, and Gary Sheffield. So in total, it is Bobby Abreu, Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, Todd Helton, Andrew Jones, Manny Ramirez, Scott Rowland, Kurt Schilling, Gary Sheffield, and Billy Wagner. Those are my 10. Uh, yeah, so I guess um, we'll get into the power rankings after uh, my ballot reveal because, you know, everyone, everyone puts out the, everyone puts out a ballot, but no one, nev- no one ever knows where, the, where the writer kind of ranks their uh their 10 or unless they like write about it yeah unless they actually in fact write about it but um we'll get into that because i think that's pretty interesting of like where we value how we value different um hall of famers so i guess i'll start with my for for my ballot reveal you have you have no idea where i could go i have no idea yeah i have not uh written about this so and this is on my phone i made the list so I'll start with my four holdovers. Uh, I've got Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, Kurt Schilling, and I am also keeping Sammy Sosa on the list. Okay. Uh, so I we don't the exact same ballot. Uh, yeah, we do not have the exact same ballot as you did not vote Sosa. Um, also, what I will say is I wanted to vote for 11, but there was one guy who I thought is Hall of Fame caliber who is, who is left off. Uh, this ballot um so i'm adding six guys (laughs) that is a very green ballot yeah very green this is a guy who who didn't really look at the hall of fame the same way he did this year i i think i i would like to hope that i had a part of that yeah the definitely definitely a part of that and you know the corn the quarantine we've talked about quarantine helped out in terms of I was, oh, I was looking at this ballot in April. I was like, all right, who am I adding this year? So my ads are Andrew Jones, Scott Rowland, Todd Helton, Bobby Abreu, Billy Wagner, and Gary Sheffield. Okay. All right. So, so can you review all 10 just real quick? Um, so in total, and actually I'll, I'll do my, uh, power rankings for, as, as we're talking about it, because I have the power rankings 
there for where I where I put them in terms of rankings one through ten. So number one, I have Barry Bonds. Uh, number two, I have Roger Clemens because you know my views on PEDs have kind of changed, and I, I don't really care about what they did in their history. It's nothing that um, anyone else did. Uh, number three, I got Kurt Schilling. Number four, I have Andrew Jones because I think he was very, uh, he really defined his era and was extremely dominant in, in his era. Number five, Scott Rowland. Number six, Todd Helton. Uh, number seven, Bobby Abreu. Number eight, Sammy Sosa. Number nine, Billy Wagner. Number 10, Gary Sheffield. Okay. Uh, I'm going to go 10 through one on mine. Uh, number 10, I have Gary Sheffield as well. Um, the, the one thing that kind of makes me a little feel like it makes me feel a little inconsistent is that I feel like Gary Sheffield is kind of just Jeff Ken with PEDs, you know, um, like obviously stronger offensive caliber, like Jeff Ken, where I'm, I'm knocking off this because he didn't have the defense. Uh, and if he did, he would probably, he might be over the top for me. Um, so Gary Sheffield, like if I had to drop someone next year, he's probably first in line. Uh, number nine is Bobby Abreu. Number eight is Manny Ramirez. Number seven is Kurt Schilling. Uh, not that I don't feel passionate about him. It's just like, I've been on it for so long and it's just tired at this point. And there's so many other guys that I feel like, you know, aren't getting as much recognition because Schilling has been there. He just hasn't gone all the way. Number six is Andrew Jones. Number five is Scott Rowland. Number four is Todd Helton. Number three, I didn't think I'd be here, but Billy Wagner is number three. Uh, I feel like there's a lot of guys that are, you know, a lot of people, if you go on Twitter, are active about Scott Rowland, active about Andrew Jones, active about Todd Helton. There's not a huge Billy Wagner community, so I've decided to adopt the Billy Wagner community uh, and put him at number three. And then number two is Clemens. Number one is Barry Bonds. Yeah, so there is a differentiation on on uh, where we view things. But yeah, I left Ramirez off because yeah, he did get uh, suspended for PEDs and it, it shows our, um, it shows how differently we view PEDs. That's our difference is I put Sosa on because his career kind of ended right before, like his career pretty much ended before 05. He didn't really do much in that 2007 season or his, 2005 season Ramirez was great you know he was great but he did get suspended for PEDs so I kind of take away from what he did past 05 but yeah I would vote for him if I had the space because he had a very he had a career through 2004 similar to Ralph Kiner so I would I would put him in there but he's just he's the 11th man for me but uh how close if you could vote more would you vote for Mark Burley um, I would not, if I, if I had, an, if I had an 11th vote, it would have gone to him. Yeah, that, that makes sense. I would, uh, I would not have put, uh, early, uh, early on in, in general at this point, how I, how I look at it now, but it could change. Yeah. Um, so I'll get into why I didn't vote Sosa. Yeah. Um, my issue is, you know, like I said, you need to convince me that you were worthy without PEDs. And I really don't see that with Sammy Sosa. Uh, his best six seasons in OPS plus in his career were all between 1998 and 2003. Uh, 2001, obviously, he had a 203 OPS plus. In 2003, for his sixth best, he had a 133. 
his best, I mean, I don't know exactly when he started taking steroids, but his, his best OPS plus before 1998 uh, was a 127 in 1994. And if he were to have retired uh, before, before 98, which is, you know, when he was a known steroid user, he would have had a career 777 OPS. Uh, that would be a 107 OPS plus. And then getting into the, uh, the wins above replacement side of things. Uh, I know the B war isn't exactly the best, but he would have had a 22.4 B war through his age 28 season. And then he started taking PEDs and he blatantly became a much better player than he ever was before. Uh, So that is why I I stay off of Sosa. You know, I think that he was clearly a different player on the roids. And I think that he was one of the guys that did it uh, for the, for the power. Yeah, that is uh that's understandable. And I can't I can't deny that that is I can't deny that that is true. Yeah. Yeah, I just uh look at I have the uh, I have the weird take with with the PED guys. I don't I just don't really uh it doesn't really affect my yeah. line of thinking before. Uh, um, so obviously next uh, week we're going to go over the bubble case of Omar Vizquel. Uh that is not a guy that we've put on our ballot. And uh, we're going to say this next week, but just a disclaimer, uh, none of what we talk about will involve the ongoing allegations uh, with the story in The Athletic. Uh, We're going to let that run its course. And, you know, whatever comes from that will probably uh, have a lot of fate as far as his Hall of Fame case. You know, I think if he's found guilty of of those crimes, uh, say goodbye to him and maybe he'll recover if he's found innocent, but uh, neither of us were going to vote for him either way. And we'll be explaining that next week. Yeah. We're uh, yeah. We were very frustrated about him getting votes uh, before any of the allegations came out. Yeah. Very, very frustrated because yeah, it's just uh, he didn't, he didn't have a, didn't have a hall of fame career, but yeah, we'll, uh, we'll get into that next week. But yeah, that's the, uh, that's the show we went over the ped guys uh it was a big part of uh who we big big part of what we voted for uh this year both of us voted for four of the six um yes yes different two different uh guys only only one interchanged guy uh between us and yeah we hope you enjoyed the show uh, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and want to watch us talk, want to watch all the uh, Hall of Fame break, all, uh, bubble case breakdowns that we've done, go to our YouTube channel, subscribe. It is called Above Replacement Radio. If you want to follow us on social media, follow me on Twitter at Chris underscore Gianta. Follow Daniel on both Twitter and Instagram at Daniel underscore Curran. And follow the show Instagram at Above Replacement Radio and uh, get all the updates on when we've done episodes and all that nature. And, you know, sometimes, sometimes get a stat graphic and sometimes don't get a stat graphic. <laughs> uh, depends on, depends on uh, what, what the temperature is that morning. Yeah. Sometimes uh, get a promotional video. Sometimes if Chris, if Chris recently got a haircut, you might be seeing one, but if he, if he, if he's due for one, don't count on it. Yeah. You know, <laughs> if, if I think that, you know, something's worthy of, of making a video for, I, I'll do it. And, you know, if I think if if the view number is low, it continuously gets lower, I will get less motivated to do promotional videos. So I sometimes I just 
do not do the promotional videos, but you'll see some of that and all that stuff on the show Instagram. And we hope you enjoyed the uh, very special episode, ballot reveal episode, yeah. general MLB news episode. And uh, we hope to see you later this week when we're going to be talking about Lefty Grove on Thursday and on Friday, we'll, we will be talking about the... 2018 Boston Red Sox. See you then.